I'm delighted to be here tonight in the cozy confines of Artifact Coffee to continue our Origin Speaker series. I'm Spike Jurdy, the owner of Woodbury Kitchen here in Baltimore. This gathering is intended to advance the conversation about food, its origins, and what is happening around our food system in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. We started our first restaurant, Woodbury Kitchen, with a commitment to local sourcing and now work closely with more than 60 different farmers and producers throughout the region. We supply our four restaurants and our canning and butchery operations with meat, eggs, grains, fish and shellfish, cooking oil, cheeses and produce, literally everything we need to feed our guests. The hope is that this series will shine a light on the work that this community is doing in our area. The conversation is held monthly at Artifact, our coffee shop, in the heart of the Woodbury neighborhood in Baltimore. Good evening, happy new year, and welcome to Origins. Um, good to see so many familiar faces and a lot of new ones. Who, who is new, if I could ask, here to Origins? Great, awesome. All right, keep coming. Um, so we decided to do this uh, evening on medical marijuana, and it took one flyer and <laughs> one post to get 42 people to buy a ticket to this. <laughs> so I've decided that's where we're going to go. No. <laughs> so um, anyway, welcome to Origins. Um, Maryland's nascent medical marijuana industry is booming, and we're thrilled to dig into this topic with representatives from the Evermore Cannabis Company, Baltimore City's only licensed medical cannabis cultivator and processor. So let's get right to it, because uh, I know there are a ton of questions tonight. <laughs> um, here are our panelists for tonight. Gary, in the middle here, Gary Newsnoff is an accomplished horticulturalist and expert with the hands-on knowledge to require to, required to successfully cultivate cannabis for consistent quality and results in a well-regulated atmosphere. <laughs> well-regulated, well I think, seems to be the operational term there. Um, he has been consistently growing and consulting for 23 years. <laughs> I'm older. <laughs> How long is the medical marijuana business? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and he wants to contribute to updated, updating standards and practices in this well-regulated industry. Currently, Gary is using these skills to help Evermore Cannabis Company as the Vice President of Cultivation and, sorry, I have to read this, Cultivation and Processing. So, welcome, Gary. Jason Marshall, who I've been talking to for several months now, very ha happy that he's here, is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Evermore Cannabis, Cannabis Company. As one of the company's first hires, he works with other growers, processors, and dispensary groups across the state of Maryland to provide medical cannabis products for patients. A graduate from the University of Virginia, he has worked in sales and marketing for 18 years. He's excited about his role in the medical cannabis industry and is helping to expand his company's footprint in the state. Welcome, Jason, and thanks for all your help in putting my pleasure. Thank you. And to my left here is Ross Crucial Johnson, um, who's dedicated his, his, his role is the marketing manager for Evermore. He was born and raised in Maryland. Ross has his finger on the pulse of Baltimore and is focused on building the brand for the company through customer outreach. 
presentation. He has a special eye for understanding the industry and conveying the medical benefits of cannabis to patients across the state through educational and community events. Welcome. Crucial. So before I hand the program over to Spike, I'd like to remind you that uh, we're recording the conversation tonight and it will live as a podcast on the Heritage Radio site, which is heritageradionetwork.org. Um, so to that end, to help with the quality of the recording, when you would like to participate in the conversation, please raise your hand and wait for me to give you the mic. The mic does not amplify your voice, as you can tell. <laughs> so none of these guys have amplified mic mics as well. So it really helps when we produce the po podcast if you could not speak over somebody and uh, just sort of wait your turn. All right? Um, let's see. And if you'd like to uh, hear, if, if you like what you hear tonight, I was going to encourage you to listen to any of the past 27 Origins podcasts on the Heritage Radio site, which is heritageradionetwork.org. Um, and let's see last but not least. Um, last but not least, uh, this doesn't happen without uh, a lot of organization from a great team. Uh, I'd like to thank Spike, as always, for being so supportive of Origins, and hope you're okay there with your arm. <laughs> Hannah Reagan, who's at the door, our Food Food Shed's Director of Operations, um, and the chefs tonight are Alex... Stephen and Adam. Stephen and Adam, okay. They'll be cooking for you tonight, and Spike will tell you more about the meal as we go. Um, right. A couple other quick thank yous. Grace Gillespie, who's um, working here tonight, did our beautiful flower arrangements, and Mary Romeo for maintaining our Origins Facebook page. And we have Lauren Carlo, who is doing the recording and engineering of the program tonight. So let's get to it. Spike. Right. Yes, thank you, Dana. Wow. So uh, I just want to make it clear for everybody that's here that there was there is no weed on like I just feel like with this this turnout we got like we are here to talk about the cannabis industry but there's no cannabis on site no. and we talked no, about no, we that know. we 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 talked about if that was even possible but right now it's not no. and we had a lot of fun with the menu though which I will uh, talk about later um, short of actually including cannabis uh, in it. And so thank you guys for being here. This is exciting for me and, and obviously a slight detour maybe I guess you could say from where Origin spends most of most of its time. Uh, but one that for me is really exciting because we are, if nothing else, we're talking about local agriculture because you guys are located here in the Woodbury neighborhood which is very cool. Um, and that was I think one of the reasons we thought this would be a really fun conversation because we are fundamentally talking about agriculture and an exciting addition, I think, to our agricultural economy in the state. And, um, and something that is also, despite the fact that we are so far down this road, relatively new. Um, so uh, to that end, I want to start the conversation and, and throw a question about the, out there just in general about where uh, the, the kind of the medical cannabis industry is here in Maryland. We are about a year into it, right? This all really started uh, December 1, 2017. Um, and here we are more or less a year later, and things seem to be going really well. I don't know who wants to kind of talk about the state of the industry um, kind of right now. And sure. then, and then I, I really want to dial in to what Evermore is doing, and, and, and then so uh, I know we're going to have a ton of questions. So <laughs> we're going to leave a lot of time for that. But I, I really want to hear about kind of where we are here in the state of Maryland uh, 
you know, here in, in this new year. Sure, and uh, I think you'll get a, a very good perspective between the three people that great. you have here. Awesome. Um, great radio voice. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect for the podcast, I think. Um, if this uh, if this cannabis thing doesn't work out, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, so between the three people on this uh, on the panel here. Uh, I think we have three uh, unique perspectives uh, of the business uh, and where it's going. Uh, Gary's been involved, uh, from, Gary and Crucial, from the beginning stages here in Baltimore. Uh, I moved here two years ago, or a little over a year ago, uh, but I've been on this, uh, in this company for a little over two years. But uh, it's been able to grow and develop. Uh, we're really excited. Uh, we just crossed over our first year uh, here in the state of Maryland. Mm -hmm. uh, it is outperforming. Uh, expectations. Uh, from, Maybe you could talk about what is what is a medical. So we are a medical state. <clears throat> yes. What does that mean? Uh, so uh, and Gary, feel free to chime in because Gary is also involved um, from the political standpoint as okay. well, and has been very active uh, in getting some of these regulations passed and uh, some of the formatting as well. Um, sure. Uh, so uh, right now across the country, there's a. Uh, little more than 30 states that are considered medical cannabis states. What that effectively means is that there is some sort of uh, law that's been written that allows some access to cannabis or cannabis-derived products in some format. So Maryland uh, actually has a, a great list of ailments, which pretty much allows everybody who wants to participate in the medical cannabis program to be able to participate. And uh, for Maryland, uh, just like many other states, that uh, severe or chronic pain is the number one ailment, um, you know, related to any sort of, uh, you know, other uh, medical condition. Uh, but also Maryland allows uh, patients that are not satisfied through traditional uh, or what, you know, our modern medicine to uh, use uh, cannabis in their therapy. So it's, at this point, it's a... And it's, how, how do I, if I have a condition, how do I go about? Sure. Uh, so, and, and the other difference between medical and recreational, I think, is uh, your original question. Uh, recreational, uh, you could have an ID uh, and over the, over the age of 21. So Massachusetts <coughs> is a medical, uh, a recreational market. Um, Las Vegas, for, uh, for an example. Uh, in Maryland, you do need to uh, qualify through the state. So you register through the state. Uh, and then after the state approves you, uh, then you will go to a qualified, um, physician uh, or a doctor or a dentist, uh, and what Gary was alluding to is a little more broader than other states uh, mm -hmm. for you to get your recreation, uh, for, for you to get your medical card. Right. And so after you have that card, you're allowed to go into right now. Uh, so there's over 100 dispensaries that have been approved in the state of Maryland. Uh, there's 14 growers and 14 processors. Uh, we're lucky to be a part of all three of those levels uh, here in the so state of So you guys are vertically integrated. We are the beautiful world of vertically integrated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which comes with uh, a unique perspective on the industry, I believe, uh, and understanding uh, pretty much A to Z, uh, from growing uh, to processing to the end user to the customers, uh, you get a full spectrum uh, view of the industry. So yeah. I think a couple questions then come up, uh, one of which is, all right, this is a medical thing, you're getting medical doctors involved. Are insurance companies supportive of this? I mean, can I now get a can I get my United Healthcare to to, to chip in on? That's, that that yeah. is the goal. Yeah, but <laughs> not happening yet. Unfortunately, not at this moment. Uh, in California, there is a group that was able to have that work out, uh, but Maryland, being so early, uh, don't expect it anytime soon. So, um, you know, as Jason uh, was saying. 
Uh, if you go on to the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission website, click on the little patient button. Uh, you give them a little bit of information. They will send you a number within about three weeks, and you can go right into the doctor and participate in the program. So right now in the state of Maryland, uh, there's a little over 70,000 uh, uh, patients that have gone through this process. And about, I think, a little over 50,000 of those patients have uh, cards. Uh, or at least a number. And with that number, you could go into uh, any one of the 70 dispensaries. There's 70 dispensaries, uh, for those that don't know, uh, open here in the state of Maryland that have been approved by uh, the commission. And that's uh, out of a possible 94? So there's over 100 that were approved uh, okay. when the program uh, created, when the program began. Uh -huh. uh, and for whatever reasons, uh, there, there's some that may not be open at this point. Uh, there's issues uh, that we'll discuss uh, as well, right? So in terms of banking issues, there's also uh, regulatory issues in uh, each location or um, county, uh, depending upon where that um, dispensary was approved. And uh, there's two per senatorial district as well right. uh, that were approved in the state. So some are more lenient than others. Uh, so some dispensaries are having a little trouble getting started up. So. Who's more lenient? Each like district? Uh, depends uh, on the district that you're in. Right. Uh, some have. So it goes more district by district almost. Uh, yeah. So they spread out those dispensaries across the state. Uh, so we started this with we are the Baltimore City grower right. and processor, uh, and so they spread out the growers and processors across the state as well as the dispensaries as well. So if you got approved in that area, uh, you had to find within those jurisdiction. Uh, that's where you had to open your dispensary. And we're going to talk about Evermore in a second, but I want to stay on this for a minute, which the other question that kind of pops into my head, and this might be, I'm not sure how this will hit you guys, but in a, is the medical step one step towards recreational? Are we headed, is, this, is that the idea, or I, I kind of want to know where we are. I mean, are we, are we happy with where we are, or is this like... So I think that's up to who is participating in the program. Uh, right now, uh, joining this program allows you protection from any sort of you know negative externality, like the police, mm -hmm. right? Right. So anybody that wants to participate can participate. But we know that there's some people that will not participate in this program. So at a point where the program grows to a size where we need to grow even greater, that's when we will probably have true legalization. And with that, we have change of attitude, whether it be you know, locally, where right now Jason says there's people that say, not in my backyard, you mm -hmm. know, the NIMBY folks. Right. But in three years, they might realize that you know, the school system might have more money or maybe people are having less uh, opiate overdoses. So uh, over the next couple years, we'll see the benefits of the program, uh, again, whether economically or health-wise. And that's when we'll start to understand that cannabis uh, is, you know, where, more, it, fits, where it fits it, in. Yeah, it's, it's more useful and maybe it doesn't need to be regulated quite as stringently. So speaking of which, who is doing the regulating at this point here in the state of Maryland? It is the MMCC or the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission. And so there is the commission set up of, of various different stakeholders and then they have uh, basically the enforcement team. Uh, the inspectors generally uh, are coming from uh, law enforcement backgrounds and uh, also some scientific background and they go around and they're the ones that do all of the inspecting and uh, probably will start to do some enforcement of, uh, <laughs> of the program as we're moving forward because now that we're all starting to run, 
uh, we're starting to see what does and does not work. Enforcement uh, around who's who's accessing yeah, the product, I mean, or what do you mean by yeah, enforcement? Well, what I mean by enforcement is that as we have all learned how the program runs, uh, whether it's us, the new business owner, or the state themselves, we've all tried to figure out what can and cannot work, what is and is not safe. And, um, you know, we want it, we all, all of the stakeholders, want a uh, workable program. So uh, we're evolving into that. And how's it going? Uh, I mean, there because we've <laughs> yeah, I think it's going well. Uh, so you know, talking a little bit about that. So Gary said, you know, 33 states uh, in the U.S. have approved whether it's medical or recreational cannabis plus DC. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think we're seeing a trend uh, of approval uh, in in America, right? So we've seen other countries that have approved uh, marijuana across you know, across that country. Um, I think U.S. is on that trend, and I think. Uh, you, you were alluding to a little bit earlier, is the medical program is a, a way for us to understand uh, how the state's gonna feel about it. Um, we're gonna see a lot more of how this program's rolled out, changing the mentality of something that, you know, has been something that has not been approved, or whether it's socially right. uh, or economically or financially, uh, in terms of like the support. I would even bring yeah. medically into that, because, you know, is it does it strike you guys as, as a little weird? I mean, if if, a drug company wants to bring a product to market. There's so much that needs to go into that research and testing, right, yeah. to get the FDA to, to, to okay it. But it seems like here we're, in a lot of ways, we're in some, some pretty uncharted territory <coughs> when it comes to marijuana. And, you know, we all are, have a, a sense of what it does, but we don't have a lot of research and data around what it really does and yeah. what long-term consumption does yeah. and what what and when and where it's it's efficacious as a therapy, right? Yeah. I mean, there's still a lot. It seems to me that like we are kind of plunging headfirst into this thing. It's exciting. It's it seems to be working on all levels. Yet there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah, is that? Yeah, I mean that's absolutely true. Um, but you know we we can look we can look at it a couple different ways. So um, you know you've talked about the future and legalization, and then also what goes into what we probably all call big pharma. So uh, I think the reality of the future is that there will be big pharma. There will be very well-tested, medicalized cannabis derivatives that create a reproducible graph, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Everything will be the same every time. That is not a plant. That is not what we have now. Uh -huh. uh, but we also know that, uh, you know, well, some people may know, that uh, when medical cannabis started uh, in, well, it really started in the 80s, but when it started in California in the 90s, uh, the, the ease of smoking the plant for instant relief is what brought the plant into the medical world. Um, and you know, some of us, we don't want Big Pharma to come in right now. We'd like to have the opportunity to study it and maybe create those medicines ourselves. But um, you know, as much as there will be big pharma in the future, there will always be the people that want their uh, their health food, their vitamins, uh, whether it's a CBD uh, vitamin or whether it is something uh, that has a little bit of THC in it, just for a little bit of pain relief, uh, like Tylenol off the shelf. Um, you know, pharma, but then you just have your natural vitamin, like sorry, valerian root, I'll say, off the shelf. <laughs> so let's. Um, you know, I've, I've been up to what was then uh, Temescal, 
Right. And you guys are now Evermore. Yes. And again, one of the things I'm most excited about is this is this is agriculture that's happening here in our neighborhood. Yes, yeah. So let's let's shift the conversation a little bit to what's going on with Evermore. Sure. Um, and uh, I mean, which is a lot from what I saw. I mean, that that is a very impressive. I mean, it may not be big pharma. I get it's nowhere near, you know, um, some you know giant Smith Glasgow or something. But this is a very impressive operation you guys have uh, here in the neighborhood. And if you want to talk about a little bit about what what you're doing at, at Evermore and uh, absolutely, the, I mean, the growing is impressive, and and then some of the the, the, the production that you're you're working on is. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, right now, uh, so we have grown in a short time frame, uh, upwards of over 40 uh, employees now uh, that work for our company. Uh, we just celebrated uh, a little over a year. Uh, so that is something that's phenomenal for us as a company. Um, our ownership is local now. So some of the transition that you mentioned before, uh, our, our ownership is local. Uh, our growers are local, our staff is local, everything is starting here in Baltimore. Uh, so that's something that distinguishes us from some of the other companies uh, where we are creating our products, we are developing our own packaging, mm -hmm. uh, all of our stuff is, uh, is locally grown not far from here, uh -huh. uh, which uh, really fits in with the, uh, the Woodbury and totally. the artifact uh, <laughs> structure, so we appreciate being here for that. Uh, we have uh, a bunch of our owners here and our CEO as well in the audience, so we're, we're very happy to have them here. Uh, so we're trying to create uh, products that are high quality. Uh, all of our varieties is what we call them. And so you've heard strains, you've heard flower strains. Uh, we call them varieties uh, here uh, under the tutelage of Gary and Crucial. Um, so we carefully select uh, what our products are, how they're made. All of our product is hand trimmed, all of our flower versus some of our competitors uh, out in the market. Uh, we are not the biggest by any means in terms of our production, uh, but in terms of the quality product that we put on the shelf, uh, in terms of the presentation and all the effort behind it, uh, is all Baltimore-based, uh, not too far from Which here. Which is awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about what you'd see if you went into the, the growing facility. Um, oh. Just let folks understand what they're, you know, this is obviously indoor cultivation, right? Yes, so um, not 100% of the cannabis, but the mature, majority of the cannabis in Maryland uh, is grown indoors, uh, not in a greenhouse, but uh, fully synthetically, we'll call it. Well, um, another way to look at it is we, we call it controlled environmental agriculture. So um, as was mentioned earlier, we do have both cultivation and processing licenses. Uh, they live with us in a 45,000 square foot building uh, right in the neighborhood. And uh, so if you were to walk in, we've got long corridors off of uh, off the corridor. We have a processing area where we have our processing area split into different rooms. Uh, one might be uh, infusions of uh, what we call our non-solvent processing room. So where we do an infusion of MCT oil to make a tincture, or where we might make a capsule or um, infuse uh, some sort of edible in the future. Um, we also have uh, rosin presses where we're actually squeezing the oil out of the cannabis at various states. And um, also in that uh, area, uh, we do uh, cold water uh, hash extraction. Uh, moving down, and I've given this tour a million times. This, this is an hour and 20 minute tour in itself, okay? This is, I'm gonna ramble here. Yeah. Uh, but moving, moving down the room, we actually have uh, where like the, the chemistry happens in processing. And uh, we do a uh, butane solvent extraction 
Uh, it may go into what is called a shatter, uh, where we're then cooking out that solvent, so actually zero PPM for those of you that might worry about residuals. Uh, so that could be cooked into a flavored uh, like shatter or everything I'm going to talk about right now is hash, some form of it. Um, and uh, after it's washed with solvent, we can filter it, clean it, uh, vacuum out the solvents. We can put it back into a solvent, uh, freeze it in a cryo freezer, refilter it, throw it in a distillation machine, and actually take out the fraction of cannabis that we want to provide to the end user. That'll make a pure product. Uh, moving down, uh, we have uh, people that hand trim the cannabis, as Jason was saying. Uh, we you know, thought about machine trimming, but we do like to employ people, and we do like to have a better product, which uh, hand trimming does for us. And uh, then we've got a couple drying rooms. Uh, the, the product is dried in basically giant humidors, uh, very controlled uh, to a certain spec. Uh, which I'm not going to tell you tonight. Uh, sorry, world out there beyond this room. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so we, um, you know, we we uh, dry it, cure it uh, for a certain amount of time before it's hand trimmed. Uh, before that, uh, we have a couple different grow rooms uh, with different types of lights, and uh, some of those grow rooms will go strictly into processing for uh, what is called live uh, plant processing or live resin or fresh frozen. Um, and then uh, the other rooms will go into uh, strictly flower products like uh, buds as well as PRJs. So Crucial, I'd love so, to hear from you about, I mean, you have an incredible long perspective on this uh, <laughs> business. I've known you for a long time. And um, what's it like, to, I mean, what you're seeing here in the, in the neighborhood here after all that time and, and you know you're sitting with a couple of vice presidents you're a brand director now I think and uh, it's got to be kind of I don't know I, I'd love to hear what it's like for you uh, surreal I guess would be the best way to put it to be in this position and you know myself and Gary and I we well I've been a farmer since creation I'm from southern Maryland I grew up farming tobacco as a youth right so and in, you know later in life uh I found Rastafari, and then the linkage of Rastafari and the herb were synonymous. So then I began to you know, cultivate cannabis on my own. And to go from where I was to where I am now, the journey in and of itself, right? And just to be a part of this team is uh, humbling, right? And to see the change that the herb has had over the last 30, 40 years. And to be a part of history, right? and to be like a part of change and affect change in a culture because of the herb. And that's kind of how I, I've been fortunate to see it through that spectrum, which very few people see it that way, right? And it's what I do every day for a living. That's what I put food on my table, roof over my head, right, the flower. And to be a part of that is otherworldly, to put it mildly, if I could put it that way. And it's because of this guy. He fired me 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, changed but, my world. But, but just so everybody knows, uh, in, in, in one week it will mark the anniversary where we were fired from this company, too. So, you know, it all comes around. And yeah. We're all here together again. I, I think they're talking about evolution is what uh, is uh, the, whole, uh, the whole piece of this. And so where this industry is kind of evolving to, and we've been talking about a little bit, 
is that, uh, you know, it's at the birthplace. It's, uh, you know, prohibition of alcohol, and it's like, uh, as it's emerging. But this is a plant. It has a lot of medical benefits to it, and I think it'll have a very positive twist on, uh, on what society has been able to do over the last, uh, I mean, since creation, right? Um, the medical benefits of cannabis are still being researched. Uh, so uh, being federally approved is a big part. Uh, in this industry, we do face a lot of issues. Uh, so bank, banking is big for us. Right, and, and I want to jump yeah. in and just, so you're, what you're alluding to is the fact that this isn't a federally approved situation yet, right? There's a, there's a disconnect or a tension even between what you're able to do at the state level or here in Maryland, yeah. what you're actually doing, and what like the federal government says you can do. Right. And I'd love for you to talk, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I'd no. love for you to talk a little bit about that. No. Uh, because uh, it does present some real challenges. Right, it does. Uh, I mean, I overheard conversations today and it's about, uh, we have some banking professionals in the room. Uh, we are restricted to right now, uh, very few, um, very few uh, banking institutions are, are willing to work with the cannabis industry. Uh, it's an, an issue not only unique to Maryland, uh, but in each state. Um, we're talking about regulations and how we're tested. Uh, so each state essentially created its own uh, system of operating, and so that's what we're learning about here. Uh, so as each state comes on board, we're learning from uh, the previous states that have been approved in the past and adjusting the regulation to fit within those state guidelines. Uh, but in terms of like the research and all the stuff that will come out, right? So all the FDA like drugs are researched right, uh, right. across the state and it's approved and it has its stamp from the government. Sure, that's something where cannabis needs to get to that level. Uh, but right now we're restricted because it's still on the state level and research is just it, it's been going on for years. But in terms of having a product that is controlled and regulated for a lot of these tests where it's a consistent for uh, testing standards. That's something that is a challenge for this industry as but well. But I guess the question I was asking earlier was like, mm -hmm. if we if we get to a place, Gary was kind of talking about it, it sounded like if the demand gets there or kind of if society catches up in a way and all of a sudden we go from medical to recreational, does, does that even, is that even relevant anymore? If you just take, if you're, you know, you know what I'm saying? If, if, if it doesn't need the imprimatur of, of, the, of the medical system, you can just, consume cannabis because it makes you feel better, right? Does all of that kind of go, the need for that go away? Uh, feeling good never goes no, away. No, right. <laughs> well, well, so, Do you so, understand what I'm asking? Yeah, well, so in terms of, you know, what we're talking about is, is the regulation or the, you know, the hand of the federal government when it does become legal. Right. So, uh, you know, with, within, you know, part of Jason's answer about the state-by-state -state testing and regulations. Right. So um, one thing I'll say is, you know, probably none of us here want the federal government to be in, in our back pocket for any reason if we're managing it ourselves. But that's what's really important in the beginning of this industry is that we, the industry, I don't whoever's in here, if other people are in here from the industry, we need to create that framework almost like the SEC and Wall Street where we regulate ourselves well enough where somebody doesn't have to come in and do it for mm -hmm. us. And so uh, with testing standards, we have some of the strongest testing standards for, for safe cannabis consumption in the country. Um, you know, modeled by the next states after us. Uh, but even within that, within our own state, there is variability that we're still trying to figure out. So do we want those standards across the country? Yes, for the safety of the products. Um, but, you know, as a small farmer, you know that sometimes those big regulations hurt the small farmer. Sure. So it, it has to be a balance uh, that will probably best be figured out by those involved in the industry. But in the short term, you don't want the threat of federal government 
I mean, the fact that we have a diff essentially a different set of laws right now at the federal level than we do at the state, I mean, that has to go away. So, I mean, it, it, however it gets resolved, but at this point, it's, it's a very difficult situation you guys are dealing with. This. It has to go away. <laughs> yeah. And, and right. Jason repeated banking a couple times right. because that's, that's the big thing. And, and the banks aren't making a judgment on what you guys are doing. They're just saying, like, we can't expose ourselves to the risk that somebody in the federal government is going to come down. Right. There, there needs to be tracking. Um, there are actually ways that these businesses pay their taxes um, right. with lots of tracking and auditing. Right. Uh, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult. Like, if you know a conventional way to run a business and be really successful at it, good luck at this business. Right. Because it is, it is the craziest thing you will ever run into, and then you're going to try and figure out a way to pay for the mess. And good luck with that part. So, well, hopefully you know, it doesn't come to that, especially yeah. for you guys. And I want to shift the conversation yet again and talk a little bit about something that would maybe shift it back into the origins kind of um, realm, which is, is edibles and the fact that, that, that these cannabis products, and I want to talk a little bit about the products that you're actually making Please. and even putting this, this event together and talking about the menu, none of which, again, to reiterate, <laughs> but I learned a ton about you know what you know about THC CBD and terpenes yeah. and I would love to hear a little bit more you know about you know and it sounds like very impressively that you guys are, are creating a lot of these yourselves uh, at the at the facility terpenes not so much at this point I guess we collect them at this point okay so uh, so what uh, what spike is talking about is uh, you know the various different components of cannabis so uh, one of the things that is probably you know really interesting um, to you know this group is all of the flavors. So I'm not you know sure who here is familiar with all of the flavors of cannabis, but uh, really if you just think about all of the flavors of everything else in your life, uh, those flavors also can reside in cannabis. So uh, when we use the word terpenes, uh, terpenes, uh, the best example I can give is pinene. The smell of pine. It's, that smell is in pine saw, the floor cleaner, and it's in a pine tree. And it's also the same pinene that's in a lot of cannabis that smells and tastes like pine. Same molecule all across. One is cannabis derived, one is botanically derived from a pine tree. Uh, limonene from uh, lemon or lime. Um, beta caryophylline, the carrot smell, or linalool from lavender. So um, if anybody has seen the TV shows where they mix up all of these flavorful cannabis into a nice uh, meal, uh, Spike has been exposed to the terpenes and these blends of these molecules uh, that are botanically derived for us right now, although we do collect our cannabis-derived terpenes. And uh, yeah, we can make wonderful flavors and tastes. And uh, for us, those are in cannabis products. Uh, whether it's smoked, uh, not so much eaten at this point, uh, but smoked, vaped, um, or uh, taken in a tincture form just with the raw flavors. And then, the, that, of course, the, and then the, the big ones that we, we can't leave out are THC and CBD. And I think, you know, they seem to, I mean, THC is, is, is what we know is kind of the psychoactive component of, of cannabis. It's, mm -hmm. But then there's CBD, which is... Um, you know, taken on a life of its own in a sense as, as an industry and as a, as a, as a um, well, can you, if, I'd love to hear you talk about that sure, as a product. The, or you know, the way, the way our body works is uh, we have uh, CB1 and CB2 receptors. Um, this was actually discovered uh, in Israel a very long time ago when they were trying to 
Uh, think about uh, how opioids uh, attach to a certain system in our body. There was a gentleman out there, he said, cannabis must, must attach to something as well. Uh, they found it, they studied the system, um, and they found THC uh, reacts basically with uh, your brain and central nervous system. So uh, yes, psychoactive, but also for pain and neuropathy, uh, uh, strictly you know, due to the central nervous system. And then uh, CBD attaches basically to most of the rest of your organs and offers primarily a, a big anti-inflammatory benefit. So that helps with a lot of other chronic issues that people may be suffering from due to inflammation. And uh, another big one is also for uh, osteoporosis, for uh, bone building for older women. So, Which is a benefit of CBD? Yeah, a benefit of CBD. Sorry. And are you guys, um, you want people Sorry. to get back into your... Uh, right. uh, <laughs> dro I'm dro dropping my badge on the floor, <laughs> my growing weed badge. <laughs> and what is, what is um, um, Evermore offering now? What are, you, what are your products that you guys... That I, you uh, sure. Mind. So uh, actually, uh, for everybody on the radio, it's not going to help. Uh, but everybody here in the audience has a, uh, a brochure and actually a pamphlet that talks about the variety of um, flower varieties that we have and offer to the market. Uh, so what Gary was alluding to a little bit earlier, so smoking uh, cannabis is not the only way to consume it. Right. right so right, there's right. other ways that we extract product. Uh, so it could be in a tincture form, uh, so like an oil. Uh, so once it's extracted from the plant, uh, there's a way to measure the THC and CBD contents of that. Uh, it's all tested and regulated, so we know exactly what is in the products now. A lot different from, you know, 40, 50 years ago uh, for some people. Um, so <laughs> uh, back then it wasn't tested, right? So you never really exactly knew what was in your cannabis at that point. Uh, so because of the, that's maybe one of the good things about this industry and the changes that are happening is that we do test it. We, right. we know exactly what is in uh, medical cannabis at this point in terms of um, in terms of levels of magnesium and pesticides. It's like one of the uh, the terpene levels. So we could tell you the, the top, I think it's up to like 14 now, like we're testing for, uh, in terms of terpene levels uh, that are in uh, each of the variety of products that we put out to the market. Um, so we said flour, we said oil. There's also capsules that we make as well. Uh, on the market, you'll see um, there's, there's a, as it's processed, uh, there's things that we uh, that Gary was alluding to earlier. So shatter and wax and sap. There's all these beautiful things that are a little bit more concentrated in terms of the THC content uh, and CBD content, depending upon what your mix is. And so there's a variety of ways and consumers uh, out there, and right. we have to meet all those consumer demands. Sure. So whether it's a, a, a grandmother that's uh, testing cannabis for the first time and is uh, entry into to just CBD, uh -huh. uh, there's ways that we could follow that, right? Uh, there is some benefit with, between CBD and THC, uh, and some some of that, uh, and having some of the psychoactive part of that, even a, in a small amount, uh, that will help uh, different patients in the market uh, that need. And as a customer, benefits. I could get a, a product that, that I knew that the you know the relative percentage, say, of CBD and THC, mm -hmm. and that's all available. And that's in, all available in the market right now in Maryland, well, in 33 states. Yep. Right. So, so that's what the testing allows, and um, you know the the varieties we've put on uh, the the sheet in front of everyone today uh, are varieties that we have tested and grown and tested and grown multiple times, so that we can figure out the range. 
so that when you come back into the store and we're growing a certain variety, you can request our, you know, our version of that variety right. because it will be consistent. And is that, is that, is the, say I get an oil then that's based on that, is the oil then derived from one specific variety or do you kind of, will you balance the, or create the balance in the oil? You know what I'm saying? Is that like... Well, so, uh, so our oils are generally uh, just balanced based on THC and CBD. Right. Uh, of that variety or something uh, that you of then... not a specific variety. Okay, okay. So, uh, so those products don't really have many terpenes in them. Okay. Um, it's the, the products that have lots of terpenes in them um, actually would be more the concentrated products. So that's where we've taken, again, uh, a large volume of cannabis. We've uh, washed it in a solvent, and then all of the terpenoids, flavonoids, cannabinoids are in the solvent, which we then remove, and, and we're left behind with the more uh, concentrated product. Which, in this case, THC and... <coughs> which, in this case, THC, CBD, but also the, the 14 terpenes. Gotcha. So, you know, like, the, the again, the, the tincture will not have much of it. But the the concentrate will have a lot, and um, you know, for people that are wondering, flour two percent and above is a good number, uh, and for uh, concentrates seven to twenty five percent, you know, so you can really get the what they call the entourage benefit of the terpenes. So just like everybody has aromatherapy, or maybe not everybody has it, but some people have aromatherapy at their homes, and the lavender makes them relax. Uh, smoking uh, granddaddy perp with the linalu in it will also make them relax, regardless of THC or CBD, but the entourage of all of those other chemicals. So, but we're talking about all these things that are, are smoked or vaped, or but we don't have edibles, right, in the state yet? Is that, am I right about that? Technically. <laughs> technically. Te technically, we don't law. have edibles. Yeah, uh, let's go by, let's start with that. And Yeah, okay, so if we start with the law, the law allows edibles in our, in our state. Uh, if we go by the regulations, uh, there have not been regulations written for or against allowing that to happen. So it's evolving. Let's just uh, put it that way. Uh, so as we're learning to interpret, uh, one of the big things of the industry here is that we're learning to, uh, they wrote the regulations in, in the law. And so as with anything, it grows and develops. Mm -hmm. uh, so edibles, I believe, is in like that gray area uh, where the law is developing around it. Uh, they are allowed in other states, and this sure. state is working towards it. They're allowed in other medical states? Uh, yes. M many, not, not all. And it's, but I got, the expectation is that it will happen here as well. Yeah, it, it is in the law. Uh, the, the commission is just trying to figure out how to incorporate uh, food regulations into the cannabis regulations. So uh, we do see some products on the market that are, uh, you know, for instance, a really tasty gummy lo lozenge type of product. Uh, you could call it an edible or you could call it something else, which I, is not my product, so I won't give it any press today. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it will be a slow evolution of, of the products that are allowed until we can have, you know, some of your tasty treats in the end. Well, yeah, I love that, you know, that's, I have to say that your, your, your approach and the fact that you're in this neighborhood, first and foremost, I loved hearing about the fact, in fact, when I was up there, I think I saw some ex-Woodbury employees are now working. <laughs> <laughs> Other than this it's guy. It's uh, Yeah, which is great. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we didn't, we started Woodbury 11 years ago and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a couple breweries around here. There certainly wasn't a pot operation. And now, now look at us, which is really cool. Uh, medical cannabis. Now, sorry. <laughs> 
medical cannabis. I remember. Um, so um, I want to open. I know we have a ton of questions, uh, and a lot of people want to want to. And the best panel we could possibly have to answer them. So I really want to get this conversation open up. Appreciate it. Thanks for doing this, first off. Um, I've traveled all over the country um, sort of as a, I guess, marijuana tourist, but also I'm a, I'm a medical holder here, so I just have to ask, just talk about, like, the difference from state to state. You know, you can go to Oregon and you can buy, just people that don't know this, you can buy an ounce of pot for, like, $48, right? And here, you know, you can go to some places and it's $390 or $290 or whatever to get, like, a high-end strain. And that's not realistic for everybody, right? And so I'm just wondering if you can talk about the differences between those states that are developed, like the Colorados and the Oregons and the Californias, versus these new states, even like you know Massachusetts or whatever. And what's gonna, what's it gonna take, and what, what do you expect to happen in the next few years to this industry in terms of like the pricing for people that, let's face it, there's people that are coming to this table for a million different reasons, right? And at the end of the day, the pricing is what's gonna be a big driver of. Uh, I can approach that a little bit. So, I mean, I think in every market, we're going to see uh, mass-produced products with low pricing. I think if you looked at uh, Canada, you'd see that there's going to be mega-grow operations uh, that employ robotics and, you know, have machine-trimmed product that comes out the end. And that'll be okay for some people, right? All they want to do is smoke all day long. Uh, you're also going to have the other people on the exact opposite end that want their really niche, high-end, locally grown, organic, pesticide-free flour that is from someone they know and can purchase from, right? I mean, that, that's, the whole, that's the whole spectrum. And then in the middle, you'll find, you know, the people with value. Uh, but what I, what I can speak to with Maryland's pricing is, you know, even in the short year that we've been around, we have seen a big slide in the pricing. And that comes with the experience, that comes with um, understanding how the testing works and, and being able to pass those stringent tests. And also um, competition, more people opening, uh, and uh, a greater quantity of flour. You know, all of those other economic variables in any industry, um, as that happens here in Maryland, uh, we, we will see more competitive pricing to other states. But, you know, my buddies went out to Oregon in the late 90s. They produced so much cannabis there uh, in, a, in an actual well-regulated market where everything is tracked. You probably won't see as much overproduction or doubling down in production. So, you know, there'll be, a, there'll be a balance, but what you would hope is that for whatever money you're spending, you're getting a better product for the higher cost. You know, you'd, you'd hope that would be the way. So I'm one of those guys that when my back hurts, I take three 200 milligram Advil tablets. Um, I get a predictable reaction. What are you guys doing as an industry to define what you're offering in terms of something that I can interpret as somebody who doesn't use your product, um, but if I wanted to go into a store and buy 600 milligrams of an equivalent to Advil, how would I do that? Well, first and foremost is the doctor-patient relationship, 
right? So, you know, they, they would know your medical condition. Hopefully they can, if they're a cannabis prescribing doc, recommend, recommending doctor, hopefully they can talk to you about it based on their other patient's experience. Um, second, as you move through the program, you have the patient service advocate or advisor or associate at the dispensary countertop that has spoken now to up to 50,000 people about the anecdotal evidence from the different offerings on the market. Um, but then we talk about if you're looking for the reproducible effect every time, that's where we go into the processed products. So when we talk about a capsule, it's, it's a uh, specific dosed capsule that is labeled as such and does not contain anything that's not on the label uh, if people are following the rules. And so as a number, if we said you're gonna take a 10 milligram capsule and that gave you the effect that you wanted to reproduce, you would know that the 10 milligram capsule, and at this point it's the 10 milligram capsule from the specific vendor, that's the one that reproduces for you. So we have the testing of our products to tell us what the active ingredients are that testing is available at the dispensary countertop upon request by anyone, and it's on most labels and should be on all labels. Uh, but it is a processed, concentrated product, labeled, reproducible each time. This, this question kind of crosses over into the restaurant space, which is, uh, I'm curious. Could you stand up and oh, okay. uh, stand up? back for the room? Okay, sorry. Uh, this question kind of crosses over to the restaurant space, which is, I'm curious if you and Spike foresee a situation where, whether it's, it's just medical and somebody goes into Woodbury Kitchen and they have a thing on the menu that says, uh, you know, we incorporate <coughs> some terpenes and CBDs and et cetera in this dish. And if you have a medical marijuana card, uh, you can buy that particular plate. Uh, or, or when it's, uh, <laughs> or when it's um, it becomes a recreational environment, you know, I guess anybody could put it in a dish. Do you actually? see incorporating that into recipes for the public? Um, so uh, lots of different uh, ways we can go with that question. Um, you know, if we start at the end, yes, we, we have to figure out how to do something like that. Uh, but working through the regulations, uh, basically the way it works now is if you are a cannabis patient, uh, you cannot share that cannabis with other patients technically. So if it were a situation where everybody wanted to be in the same room and have a meal that's medicated, that would almost be something, and you know, don't listen to me out there on the world. Uh, but it's something where maybe in the future we could get together and uh, facilitate the non-sharing meal preparation of a nice meal um, in a private atmosphere. People are working to try and figure out how we can come together and use our products. There are events in the market now, uh, not specifically a food event, uh, but there, um, there have been non-cannabis-based uh, food events. Uh, but there's been smoking events all the time. Uh, there's just rules by which you have to follow. I'd like to know about the CBD that I'm seeing everywhere, like all over New York, every coffee shop. 
you know, CBD is a option, right, in your latte. Right. What am I seeing there? What, what is that? So you're seeing a large gray area. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we know that this year the farm bill uh, was passed, allows hemp production. Uh, you know, you can only assume that the federal government will change their stance on CBD. Uh, to date, it hasn't happened. The FDA connected to DEA, they will not reschedule the derivatives of cannabis. Any of them, including um, CBD. Including CBD. Uh, so we'll see if just the, you know, the, 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 the slippery slope that has started and is going. I mean, it is in every health food store around here. Right. Uh, I can't imagine that it would go away. Um, but for us, what they don't have is the ability to add THC. Um, but we also look at CBD as, you know, is it the next super vitamin where it is in everything? Got it. All right. And CBD could be derived from two sources, right? So whether it's hemp or, or cannabis plants. Uh, as a medical cannabis grower and processor, uh, we only grow cannabis plants in our facility. But conversely, uh, is CBD derived from hemp even as good? It, it is the same molecule. It is the same. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, technically we could be growing hemp or growing CBD. Um, like you said, our scale, we're not this huge, you know, uh, producer at this point. Uh, so we don't produce those varieties. Got it. And to touch a little bit on the restaurant side, uh, like this is something that as I look at this industry growing and developing, uh, like if you look at alcohol and how it's consumed, right? So if you go in a square, like whatever, uh, 400 from this very spot, right? There's bars and restaurants and all sorts of locations that serve alcohol. Uh, it is regulated, it is controlled, right? As to where it's socially acceptable. Uh, cannabis is going down that road where uh, with research, with development, with change of the social stigma, uh, I think it's gonna be something that people uh, feel less hesitant about. Uh, where, you know, instead of Advil, you could consume something that uh, is grown from a plant source instead of manufactured uh, in a chemical plant. Uh, there's a lot of changes that are going to be happening uh, and involving. So it, we see like bourbon-aged steaks. We see a lot of different stuff on the menu, right? Uh, so it will evolve and develop into, uh, into common culture. At least we're hoping so. Uh, I want to get back to product consistency. If I go to my doctor and he recommends XYZ, is it the same if I come to your dispensary versus somebody else's dispensary? I mean, is there consistency between companies? Do you have the same products? Or how does that work? So uh, are we talking about flour specifically or products in general? Just products in general. general. I mean, if my doctor, I have inflammation in my knees, if he says you should be taking a pill of X. Okay. Does everybody have that? So, um, so the way the program actually works and that what allows a doctor to participate in the program is they don't actually uh, make a specific recommendation. And the reason that is is because that effectively is a prescription. So this is only a recommendation to use cannabis for an ailment. They're not going to tell you how to use it, how frequently, what type, who to go to. Um, but as far as the consistency uh, between growers, uh, I would say if you want a repeatable experience, you stick with the one that you know works because they're the one that knows what they're doing for their product, right? Um, and then uh, the products are available across all dispensaries. So uh, we sell our product uh, potentially to every dispensary in the state that's open. So if you found our 
Uh, for instance, there's a product called Blue Cookies. If you found our Blue Cookies um, testing at 30% at Temesco Wellness on Reicherstown Road right now, <laughs> uh, that would be the same 30% Blue Cookies that you might find at another dispensaries. Uh, such as Starbucks down another road. No, or, or Remedy. Yeah, or Remedy on the 17th. Yes, because there's other people in the room who are part of the program. Is there any collaboration between the cultivation and the dispensaries and the research community? So people who are doing the the research for specific ailments or other attributes of of the medication. So I can't speak for any other uh, facilities. Um, at this point, I can say uh, we are not. Um, I think there's a lot of like internal science going and uh, internal white papers that uh, are, are being written. Um, but uh, as far as the, the, the true academic community in Maryland, when this program was first started, it was uh, recommended that the program be run by academic medical centers. Mm -hmm and uh, none of them would step up. And uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, on a different note, not part of our program, uh, they even stepped away from like the, the federal pot of gold for cannabis study uh, with famous scientists. So, you know, we still won't get academia yet, not in year number one, but it's probably right around the corner. So I have a question about stigma, criminalization, that type of thing. Do you have any idea if the folks that go for these cards are then entered into a database and Big Brother is watching and things like that? I know some federal employees that really need this. But, you know, to your point, it's, it's illegal federally. And the insurance companies aren't helping pay for it. However, are they getting data? I mean, clearly there's a database somewhere. The data's being stored somewhere, right? That is a trick question. Is that a trick question? No. Uh, Big Brother's always watching if that's uh, one of the things that we're looking at. Um, yeah, uh, it's one of those things where I have this conversation frequently with where we're trying to sign up new patients uh, to this uh, platform, right? So uh, in the state of Maryland, I think there's like 6.5 million people, right, roughly, uh, and only 50,000 people have their medical card at this point a year in. Uh, while we're outpacing our growth, uh, I think we almost doubled the anticipated revenue here in the state. Uh, that helps changing the, the stigma is what we're talking about. Uh, we're, we're never going to, that's a battle that is gonna be, uh, is a lot uh, more intricate than uh, what we could answer from a state level. Uh, but it's something that needs to change. Uh, one of the things, uh, I think the demand and the benefits of, the, of medical cannabis uh, should start outweighing uh, the federal regulations and some of the stuff that prohibits access uh, to this. It's a, it's a medicine for people. It's uh, between the people that I've met, uh, it helps uh, with PTSD, it helps with chronic back pain. Uh, I was in a dispensary about a month ago. Uh, one of the patients started using our capsules uh, for the Tylenol people in the crowd here. Uh, but he was in an accident uh, and he broke his leg in 14 places. Uh, he comes up to our table and he says, hey, uh, you know, I started using your, your capsules and I'm off of one of the 14 uh, medicines that I was prescribed by my doctor. I'm down to two now. Uh, I'm more active, I'm more engaged, and I'm more energetic. 
stories like that will help change uh, the perception. Uh, I, I don't know what Big Brother's going to do and what his, uh, his game plan is, but it's changing and it's, it's, gonna, it's on a positive trend, I believe. And, and I'll go a little further into that. Um, and coming from the other side, I mean, you heard the introduction. He's been growing for over 50 years, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gone for over 20 years, um, you know, legitimately. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is, you know, if you want to participate in the program for, for whatever it's worth, um, you do so. Uh, if you believe that you're on a database, you're probably already on that database, right? I mean, if you think they know something, they already know it. But, but don't worry about that. Worry about, you know, if you believe you can have a benefit from this plan, that you participate. Uh, some people don't want to participate because they're worried about the, you know, the constitutional right of arms. And completely legitimate, but if you read through the internet, like, is that really happening all of that much? Statistically, no. Does it happen? Yes. Um, we have to weigh everything. Uh, with the federal government in particular, that's a hard one because you're going to have to wait for federal legalization of medical cannabis. Um, state governments are protecting state workers in some states. So uh, again, it's, it's a long way off, uh, but that's where, if you're worried about the database, you, you hopefully wait or push for or come down to the state house next year and go for legalization because then there is no database. And, it, and that's a positive trend that's happening as well. So you've seen in California uh, where people are expunging their records back into, is it the 80s, early 80s, like late 70s? Uh, you see in New York uh, to adapt uh, with the state policies, um, they're requiring some kind of social mandates on the change uh, for, you know, enforceable laws. So all of this is changing that stigma and that belief. Uh, so we're in a gray area now, which is beautiful because it's, uh, you know, a lot of uh, positive space ahead uh, for this industry. This is probably a really simple question, but I'm hoping that you could um, describe for me percentages versus milligrams. Products come in milligrams of things and products come in percentages and what each of those means. Okay, that's an easy one. Jason. No. <laughs> no, actually, uh, it's, uh, it's simple. You know, if we, could, if we could do math like most of the rest of the world, it would be really simple conversions. So, um, you know, when we talk about percentage, uh, it's percentage of a whole. If, if the easiest number always to think about is a, a percentage of 100%, right? Um, if the cannabis is 30% THCA, 30% of the whole being uh, X grams, right? We can get our milligrams. But 1,000 milligrams is one gram. But it's, a, it's just a simple math equation. Percent times weight, right? Per, percent times weight, and then move the decimal point for the milligrams. Um, when we're talking about it in terms of your, your dosing, uh, there are some uh, labels that will list out not just the percent, like 30% THC, it will list out um, X amount of milligrams. So if we want to do real quick, real quick math here, say we have three and a half grams of cannabis at 10%, right? Very, very, you know, simple, moving the decimal place one time, we have 10% of three and a half grams, which is 0.35 grams. 
So if we were to multiply that times 1,000 milligrams per gram, what are you shaking your head at? <laughs> shaking his head because I've done this before and no, nobody's going to follow, but I can write it for you on paper later. Um, but, you know, at that point, you know, you're going from 3,500 milligrams to 350 milligrams. It's... I Just think, some uh, yeah. The the point is that uh, there are. <laughs> I, I have this conversation with Gary frequently uh, between the sales side and the uh, production side. Uh, they explain stuff to me like a child because it takes a lot. Um, but it, I, I think you're talking about dosage, right? So you're talking about dosage, which is measurable uh, by the gram, which uh, Gary was alluding to. And I would say the percentages are maybe like ingredients. You could look at it that way, uh, whereas like you could figure out what the makeup of that is. Uh, in terms of like THC, THC, CBD, uh, and what's actually in the, the product that you're consuming. Uh, so there's a lot of calculations that go on with it, uh, as, you, as you see. Uh, but that's essentially the simplified version that I like to follow. Does that help at all? No. A little bit? <laughs> well, when you talk about dosing, you're trying to find the milligrams to dose at, right? Starting dose. Um, a starting dose in most states, what it evolves to is five milligrams per dose. Um, some people dose at 100 milligrams or 200 milligrams or even higher. Um, and then, okay, so Maury, part of Evermore over here, is reminding me to say, so there's also a difference between when you're smoking it or when you're eating it or whether you're using a tincture. So very hard to figure out your dosing when you're smoking it. That's, that's always a problem because you have to do that math, right? Um, but when you use a tincture or you have an edible, you are taking it like a serving size. And it's going to tell you three little pieces equals X amount of milligrams. And the milligrams are the dosing. Anyone else? We have plenty of cannabis info. <laughs> the um, typical origins farmer talks about the environmental impact. Uh, of their farming activity, what their carbon footprint is, what are the chemicals involved, what is the runoff, uh, what are the toxic chemicals that are involved in production of, um, of their crop. Uh, so would somebody uh, speak to those sorts of issues? Sure. Um, so uh, first, um, I guess we could say, you know, I don't know where to start because that's so many different questions. Um, but we can say uh, the way we grow our product uh, is in a pot, in a soilless media, uh, on an ebb and flow table uh, with water that is to waste, um, you know, so there is effluent, uh, just like, you know, any other farm. It's going into sanitary water, uh, just like any other manufacturing around here. And uh, we use organic products and biosynthetic products, meaning naturally mined minerals. Uh, no pesticides used in our production. Uh, we use uh, a mineral fertilizer for fungal control, and we use uh, biological controls for any sort of insects. Um, so, uh, I will say that one when you when you're in the space, one thing that does hit you is the the, the light and the and the air that you're moving around, and there's so there's got to be a lot of energy going into the right. You, you know, so indoor uh, primary energy consumer is the lighting. 
so all of the um, all of the environmental controls or the con conditioning is synthetic. So we do have uh, lots of thousand watt lights. Uh, we do have lots of HVAC, many, many, many tons of HVAC, uh, all humming all day long. So, you know, in terms of footprint, if we compare it across the cannabis spectrum, uh, indoor would be a very, uh, you know, user intensive, uh, you know, producer, I guess, you know, resource intense producer, uh, going down to greenhouse and then to outdoor. Uh, but cannabis uh, is an annual plant. It does need to be protected. If we were to just grow outdoor cannabis, uh, we couldn't do anything with it but process it because it would not pass the tests. Uh, the tests, when I say that, uh, are mold, mildew, total uh, yeast, E. coli, salmonella, uh, all the cannabinoids, terpenoids, 60-some uh, pesticides. Uh, but we don't really add a lot to it. Um, also what they test for are heavy metals. So we know that actually like in our plants and uh, in how we fertilize and use our fertilizer, uh, we do not have uh, high heavy metal concentrations left in the plant tissue because we're not overloading it the whole time. And what that also means is in the end when we have our soil, uh, which unfortunately, or, or you know, fortunately, however you look at this, it does have to go to a sanitary landfill in our case uh, because everything we're doing is regulated um, and needs to be secure. Uh, but uh, you know, we're 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 creating a very safe, clean product in the end, and not throwing more than it needs, but putting a lot into it. Anything else I didn't go through in that? In, it's, a, it's a very deep subject. It's yeah. a big subject. It, it is. Um, I mean, you know, historically, I have grown a lot of organic cannabis. Uh, if we were to actually look at the testing in our program right now, you know, just basically who uses all organics and who uses a blend or who uses all synthetics, the organics will not wash out of the soil in a timely enough manner to have clean cannabis. So you'll actually have cannabis with higher heavy metals, even with the touting of, oh, it's organic Is and there it's an natural. organic certification for cannabis? Uh, no. So it would be self-claimed. Mm -hmm. uh, no, you can't call anything organic uh, in terms of growing. Right. But people use it as a, you know, contains carbon <coughs> scientific word. Versus the lifestyle or, you know, gotcha. the, the, the cultivation techniques. Right. So if we, if we go back to medical marijuana for a minute and think about the anti-inflammatory properties of some of the components of cannabis, um, do, does the industry know which specific components have greater anti-inflammatory effects than others? Yes. So, I mean, primarily CBD. So um, that is what they've called like the, the next miracle cannabinoid. So how, how much... Um, how much, uh, uh, I would say, how much of a side effect in terms of um, uh, mood altering does CBD have? Zero. Uh, zero. zero. No, no psychoactive effect. No psychoactive. So in uh, high dosage, uh, you may feel a little lethargic. Uh, they actually make like sleep, you know, sleep formulas and blends. Um, I'm sure you've seen it all over the internet. Uh, but for any, anybody that's new to this program, uh, there's a there's a motto uh, start low go slow um, and it's just about your titration so
for you, if you've never done it before, start at a milligram. Didn't feel anything, take two milligrams. Didn't feel anything, take three. Not all like 10 minutes after one another. <laughs> that, that's where we all get in trouble. But um, you know, do that at night before sleep. Wake up, do you feel funny? Um, you know, just going slow. And, and most people, you know, and I could say with my mother, someone who was never, would never use cannabis and has never used THC, um, she stopped using because she didn't feel anything, which was the whole reason it was given to her. So it's very benign, um, and you probably wouldn't notice anything until it starts to build up in your body for the anti-inflammatory. So the, the, you, you said something about you were selling capsules of Correct. CBD? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they can be THC, CBD, or a blend of, uh, blend of the two. So what does the THC give in terms of a medical component that the CBD doesn't have? Primarily the pain relief. No, it's well, is that pain relief actually uh, neurological or is it psychoactive? Uh, it is, so it's a, and again, I'm not, I'm not that scientist, uh, but it's basically, uh, it basically protects the myelin sheath around the nerve. So uh, neuroprotectant. Hmm. Thanks. But I can't go any further than that. <laughs> 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 there are some medical professionals that could help out with that. Um, so cannabis is thought a lot about as like a holistic kind of medicine against pharmacy. And I was wondering on the edible side, which Maryland is yet to have, what vehicles uh, you guys think exist besides things like sugar and uh, candy form and uh, some of that structure? Like, is there a better, more nutrient-dense uh, healthy vehicle that THC and cannabis can kind of ride along with uh, for dosing? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, like, like if we call CBD the superfood, right, um, and where Spike says he's seeing it in, you know, every coffee shop in New York, uh, we will see it start to get added to other more healthy foods. So, you know, the reason we have brownies on the on the market is because that's what we're all used to right um, but we will evolve to like uh, like the addition into you know more healthy foods is there a uh, state doing that really well now around like oil and things like that or? uh well i mean if you have to like you talked about the vehicle for the for the cannabinoids you do need something that's fat dense Right, which are generally like oils or lards, or again, I'm not the chef here, um, or uh, alcohol um, or sugars. And now what they're doing is making uh, like these nano crystals that are uh, able to be emulsified better than uh, they have in the past. So, if you have any food components that use a fat, right, something that's nutrient dense with a fat, you can incorporate cannabis into it. And this will probably be our last question, and then we were going to, uh, you know. wanted to uh, loop back around to energy consumption and ask you guys if you're doing any testing uh, with LED lighting. And um, I know some strains have kind of been grown under HPS for so long that they have adapted to that form of lighting, if, if that's something you guys have been investigating. So uh, 
We actually do have uh, a couple different types of lighting uh, right now. So we do have uh, traditional HPS, as you'd call it. Uh, we have ceramic metal halides and also uh, one LED test light right now. Not personally a fan. So one way to look at it is, you know, LEDs are new. Do you jump right in just because you might have a little bit better energy consumption? So we are doing our testing, uh, you know, with our different colors of light, um, as well as what the wattage of those lights are. And, um, you know, from everything I've, I've read in terms of the real studies, uh, you need just as much LED produced light, you know, same amount of wattage producing whatever amount of LED light to actually produce what the wattage of uh, the HPS is producing. And it's measured in millimoles of light, if you're familiar with that. So if you took a 1,000 watt X fixture at X amount of feet, you need a lot of LED light to do the same oh, thing yeah, yeah, yeah. because it doesn't travel the distance. And then you have, you know, your height of your plant, a lot, lot of the, variabilities. Uh, the format of growing, maybe going uh, multi-level or something like that. But right. I, it was just curious. Yeah. Well, then you become resource intensive in a different way with people versus electricity or so on and so forth. Uh, last question. Oh, well, question? if you want. No, so, no uh, so like we took a very scientific turn, uh, which is fantastic. So, uh, but I just want to say uh, a thank you to Origins for having us here. Uh, thank you to Spike and Artifact and Woodbury for uh, incorporating uh, medical cannabis into, uh, I would say, your community uh, and having the opportunity, uh, you know, from Evermore Cannabis Company and all of our employees, uh, not only from us, but from the other growers, processors, dispensary groups, uh, medical professionals, there's marketing people, there's all sorts of people that are tied to this industry. And uh, we really thank you for giving us a platform, uh, for having this discussion, for educating people, for changing the stigma. And uh, this is the only way that we're going to be able to have these conversations and understand the chemical foot or like the carbon footprint and lighting and marketing and the comparisons to Tylenol and all the beautiful things that people have. Uh, but this is the, the format to do that. Uh, we work very hard, Crucial works very hard in uh, engaging with the community, uh, whether it's through 5K races, whether it's sponsoring uh, Hamden Fest, whether we did reggae festivals, we've done concerts, anywhere we could go uh, to educate people about what we're about, uh, the changes that we're making. Uh, we're going to gain efficiencies on pricing and uh, energy efficiency and all of these things. Uh, and we just want to appreciate uh, and thank you for having us here tonight. So now those of us who are here get to eat uh, this, uh, this incredible meal, which was more about having fun with some of the, the notional ideas of pot than cooking with pot. So we've got a weed salad. Uh, yeah. Okay, sorry. Uh, medical cannabis. But we've got a, a weed salad, we called it, uh, which is interesting because it is the vinaigrette that we, uh, the dressing is flavored with a little bit of terpene uh, that these guys provided. Which uh, ones? Uh, that I don't know, but I will find out. Blue Blue Dream. Blue Dream. Thank you, Crucial. Um, and then we've got, uh, wait for it, for our main course, Pot Pie. Uh, and uh, uh, in, in vegetarian and uh, uh, turkey um, iterations. And then finally, of course, for dessert, brownies. Uh, but these are complemented with a little bit of ice cream, uh, with a scoop of ice cream flavor with, uh, with more terpene. Sour tangy. Thank you. Sour tangy. Sour tangy. Um, so at least get a little bit of the flavor 
uh, of this from this great great conversation. I want to thank these guests, um, Jason, Gary, and my good friend Crucial for being here. Thank you, uh, and please continue this conversation um, uh, over over supper. Um, thank you for, thank you, Dana. Yes, thank you, Hannah. Please get out of this room so we can turn it. Uh, and uh, thank you, thanks everybody. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us tonight for our conversation at Artifact Coffee. With special thanks to Dana Slater for producing the program, Hannah Reagan for her masterful coordination, and particular thanks to Donnie Carlo for recording this evening's conversation. We're grateful to be partnering with Heritage Radio in Brooklyn, New York. Thank you to them for creating a home for the Origin Speaker Series.